In Canada, one woman is killed in a violent act every other day. The spike in domestic violence that began during the pandemic is still on the rise. Numbers in Canada have leapt by 27 percent since 2019, and in Israel, the situation is just as critical, with 16 Israeli women already murdered this year. True to its mission, CHW is stepping up to support emergency services in Canada and Israel at this critical time. Help CHW empower victims of domestic violence by supporting the 27-hour SOS crowdfunding campaign. From August 22nd to 23rd, every dollar will be quadrupled when you donate online at chwsos.ca. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Mentors. I'm Jamie, I'm here with my co-host Gabe. Gabe, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Um, you know, it's a beautiful, stormy August evening that we're recording this. Um, it is stormy, huh? Yeah, it's dark, yeah. it's stormy, blustery. Um, we are your bi-weekly look at the world of Jews and sports. Had some very nice feedback from our last episode, uh, including an uh, interview with Scrabble champ Josh Sokol. I've been playing a lot of online Scrabble since then. I, me, I will me be too. honest. I think, yeah. I think it's been like a really... It's been a really uh, nice refresher to how exciting it can be to play Scrabble by yourself on the internet against the computer. I don't play other people; I just play the bot. Oh, do you? I've been playing other people, and um, I do feel like there's probably more cheating going on than he let on. If you play very like rapid, like very like small amount of time, I feel like it's hard to cheat. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. There's always you know things that are up in the air. Um, I will, I, I feel like I always alternate between like word games and, uh, and like number games, like, uh, you know, sometimes I'm more interested in one or the other. So this is like a word game, uh, summer for me. Uh, it's like, uh, <laughs> two years, two, 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 three years ago when everyone was in the spelling bee, uh, including me. Um, yes, anyways, absolutely. um, we have a very exciting interview this week. I know it is the dog days of, of summer right now, but, uh, we have a winter athlete on. Uh, and that is AJ Edelman, someone who we've been talking to for a while and sort of circling on having on. Um, AJ is uh, an Olympic athlete. He qualified for the Olympics back in 2018 as a skeleton racer, uh, which is the headfirst face down luge. Yeah, we're, uh, we, we talk about this sort of on the show, but it's the sort of sport that Jerry Seinfeld would describe as the athletes look like they're doing it against their will. That's right. Uh, and he, he was not doing it as against his will, but he has moved on now from skeleton to bobsled. And, uh, he attempted to put the, or he put together a bobsled team for the last Olympic cycle, uh, came as close to making it as he could. And we talked mm-hmm. to him about that. And he is now sort of in the throes of, of do, you know, going through the work of qualifying for the 2026 games, uh, trying to get an Israeli sled into the Olympics and make that happen. And, you know, it's really interesting to hear from him about sort of how complicated that is, how much money is involved, how much work is involved from him. Uh, you know, he's a really bright guy. He's a MIT grad. Um, I think uh, an MBA from somewhere as well. We've uh, noticed. Somewhere, somewhere you fancy. Know, and probably with the most proud parents we could find, a lot of the professional <laughs> athletes that we focus on that are Jewish, there's. I think they're sort of overrepresented in the Ivy Leagues compared to the general <laughs> uh, It's true. Ryan LeVarne on... Uh, Ryan LeBarnway on who's You're talking uh, about Craig Breslow, his Yale teammate. Right, his um, Yale teammate. You know, we hear about that. You know, I guess we talk about Max Homa a lot, who's a Berkeley grad. You know, there's there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of 
I guess, higher education representation amongst the right. Jewish athlete class. I, I, I like the idea of like Jewish parents consenting to their kids playing division one ball, but it's like, okay, but it's gotta be at a top 20 school. Like maybe Duke, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I want to, I'd love to talk to uh, John Shayer someday and, and, and see how, uh, you know, that fact Duke, Duke's educational uh, background factored into his decision to go there. Uh, but yeah, I think that that was a really fun interview with AJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to take up most of the episode. Uh, so stick around for that. He, he was a, you know, a really generous guest time. And, uh, you know, we're, we'll be following him, you know, we're three years away, really for two and a half years away, I guess, from, from the 2026 games. Um, and, you know, we'll be following him as he, you know, gets, gets going and, and gets working on the world cup circuit, uh, to help bring a, an Israeli bobsled team to, to Milan, right? To Milan 2026. Yeah. I, I, yes. Um, yep. yeah, it, going back to Italy um, for, you know, since Turin, I guess it's been 24 years, 20, or sorry, 20 no, years tw- exactly. 20 years, Since yeah. Turin, so back to Italy, back to the Alpine, um, uh, uh, you know, the Italian Alps, very exotic, but exciting world uh, uh, world games. With, yeah. You know, as we hope AJ, or as he calls himself, Aj, can, can have some success. Uh, so before we get to that, any uh, Jewish sports news you wanted to talk about? Uh, things you wanted to talk about before we get to the interview? A couple of exciting things I, I want to talk about. You know, we've... A um, couple of things. Uh, you know, as we talked about Scrabble, following up the Scrabble World Championships, or Scrabble National Championships, uh, North American Championships, sorry, the Scrabble World Championships uh, were just awarded. Um, and uh, the winner of that was, you guessed it, Jewish. Uh, David Elder, who was previously the uh, World Youth Scrabble champion, as well as a professional poker player, who was also very, very good at Scrabble. Um, So another Jewish to that. Digging a little deeper into that, there is a excellent Wikipedia page for anybody who wants to read it. The list of world champions of mind games. Oh, wow. Uh, And it's sort of a non-athletic world championship, um, which I think is, is extremely funny. There aren't as many Jews on that page as you'd think. It's a lot of like Stratego and math competitions. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's fairly globally diverse and not a lot of North American Jews as we tend to follow on this program. Um, But that's a really interesting piece of information in case anyone wants to follow. Um, What about you? What's new in the the world? I hear there's a Team Israel baseball player who's really raking these days. (laughs) Yeah, I want to talk a a little bit about Zach Geloff uh, of the Oakland Athletics who has really just been crushing since he came up um you know he he was a member of team israel we talked about him a little bit when he came up uh his younger brother was recently drafted um and and it, it, you know relatively early on and that was pretty exciting as well um but zach has been called up he's a you know plays plays uh all over the diamond but but mainly an infielder um and he was called up to oakland who is really just having like a historically bad year uh you know they're 50 games under 500 so this is often a time when 50. rookies get a chance. Yeah, uh, often a chance, a time when when rookies get a chance to to break through and and sort of get good playing time. Uh, and Zach has really, you know, played consistently pretty much since the All Star break. Um, he has gotten into uh, at, at the time of recording this, I think, twenty six games and is starting every day. Uh, you know, really filling in at second base there, and he is just crushing it. I mean, he it. hit his not, he had two home runs on Sunday. Uh, bringing him to eight on the year, he hit a double yesterday, I believe. As re- again, as we we're recording this, bringing him to nine on the year. 
Uh, you know, he's slugging 624, which is like, you know, that is a big league slugger. Uh, uh, apparently he is what, what the big stat is as of today. He's the only player in the history of baseball to have eight homers and six stolen bases in their first month of play. Yeah, it is. You know, he is really lighting the world on fire now. So unfortunately it's happening with the A's, I guess I, you know, it, he, he was hitting very well in, in the minors. He was hitting, uh, you know, very solidly slugging 529 in Las Vegas, but the like the thin air, I guess, in 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 the Pacific Coast League, like mm-hmm. ten, tends to lead to inflated power stats, especially. Um, you know, he's hit he's hit throughout his career in my, in the minor leagues. Like he's hit, he's hit well. He's hit for power, but this is like a real outburst. Um, I think it means that he is going to be you know presumptively be a starter uh, next year in uh, n- next year in Oakland. You know, there, there's no no real doubt about that. But it's just really great to see him get off to this hot start. You know, he is probably not going to play enough games to be in contention for a rookie of the year. But, uh, you know, it, it feels like if he were, then he would be, you know, he'd be right there. Um, so exciting to see. I mean, this is probably the best, I don't know, probably the best debut by a, a Jewish player in their in their rookie season since since Ryan Braun won rookie of the year. I can't really think of anyone quite, quite at this level. You know, Kevin I mean, Blair when, he came, when he came out the best his first full by, season. Yeah. by any player. <laughs> in a very long time, as as some of the stats would say, um, and we also want to, uh, you know, while we're talking about this, you know, we know our our friend of the pod, Spencer Horowitz, made his major league debut, um, but he's continued to rake as well after winning that International League Player of the Year, Player of the Week award. Um, his OBP on the season is up to an outrageous 441, uh, right, with an OPS nearing the thousand mark. So it's a, a pretty big year for Jewish baseball prospects. Yeah, I think that this is showing, you know, some real strength up and down the uh, the order. You know, obviously we've had tougher showings from Max Fried, who's been dealing with injuries all year. Uh, Dean Kramer has been, you know, part of a really uh, impressive a Orioles, story. Orioles team. Uh, and he has, he has been, you know, a real contributor to that team. Uh, but, you know, maybe, when, you know, we're not likely to see, a, you know, a three or four Jews in the World Series this year. But but a couple of years from now, like, I think I think we're seeing guys who are really going to contribute to their teams. Uh, you know, potentially be you know, all though a Baltimore Atlanta World Series with yeah. a Freed Kramer game is not is impossible. Not impossible at all. Um, likely even, I think one could suggest. <laughs> I mean, Atlanta is certainly presumptive favorite to come out of the to come out of the uh, National League. Um, Kevin Pillar has been has been playing a, a, a fair amount here and there um, for Atlanta. You know, hard to know if he would necessarily be uh, a starter for a World Series team or anything like that. Um, but absolutely, you know, Max Fried, if healthy, will will be contributing to that for sure, contributing to the playoff push there. Uh, and Dean Kramer, I think, you know, it's probably a game three starter for Baltimore. He's a, yeah, solid, I, 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 solid part of the know, Orioles rotation. Probably, probably no game three or game four starter for Baltimore uh, in in a, in a second round of the playoffs. So you know, we'll see what happens um, as 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 we get get continued on. Um, but yeah, really, just exciting to see Zach Eloff uh, excel at this level. Last thing I want to talk about before move on. James, do you have an, another piece of news? No, go ahead. Um, I wanted to talk about Leonard Fournette. Uh, not oh, yeah. Jewish. New Orleans no. born and raised, played for LSU, spent pretty much his entire life in the Southeast playing for Jacksonville and then Tampa. Um, sort of gave a big surprise at Camp Simcha this week, which is a uh, camp in the Northeastern United States. I think it's in New Jersey, which is for Jewish kids who have uh, chronic or terminal or serious illnesses. Um, right. We're given the opportunity to have, you know, a summer camp. You know, I, I went to Jewish summer camp. I know you went to Jewish summer camp. So some kids who, you know, to even what Leonard Fournette said, 
you know, he is a professional athlete and the struggles he had compare not at all to any struggles that these kids have had. Um, so he was there to coach, teach some kids how to play football, to just hang out and like, you know, experience some of the joy. And he said he's coming back next year. It was a big surprise. Um, and, and he spent some time with them there. So uh, big, big nafes for Leonard Fournette for doing, giving back to not just the community, but right. specifically the Jewish community, which is pretty exciting. No, really, really beautiful to see him do that. I, I will say also that I, I, I thought it was very funny that, uh, like, you know, it's hot outside. He was wearing he was wearing uh, basketball shorts with the drawstring st- sticking out, dancing next to a set of guys with the tzitzis, sitting guy the shirt. Very, very similar vibe, but uh, yeah, slightly different application. That is. Anyways, I was going to say we funny. know we know Leonard Fournette isn't Jewish because he went to LSU instead of Tulane. <laughs> oh, hey, oh, oh. <laughs> Uh, Alex Bregman went to LSU though, so so they they've I had just... at least one Jewish student. <laughs> there there is like I I, I guess man, I can't remember we talked about this before, but like there there's some interesting like history in, into why Jews go to Tulane and like someone did a TikTok a little while back about the spread of I I can't remember what it was that it spread to, but like uh, sorry that it was like game day culture, uh, especially the way women dressed, uh, like uh, female university students dressed for games has spread through uh jewish sororities at various like big 10 schools in tulane bec- directly influenced by jewish summer camp color war traditions <laughs> that was an interesting philosophy and it, it, like, yeah. it was an interesting theory and just saying that like it, it was basically saying that like the way they dress at certain schools like in the south that uh tend not to have as big jewish populations is is much more like formal and fancy and that the way they dress at Big Ten schools like Northwestern or Tulane that, and other ones that have a, that's an a existential question, then, which is, it, like, is more what like is solid color, yeah. comfortable clothing, like the dress for color wars. What um, what is college sports if not highly organized Maccabia? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's all sort of part and parcel of the same thing. Uh, anyways, we we need like we'll need a, a cultural anthropologist of some sort to uh, you know really give us a thesis on that. Yeah, and that's, out, so but, like. For it's example, an if you go to Northwestern, to if you go to Northwestern, do you just like get the purple sweatpants? Do they just show up in your dorm room on your <laughs> first year? I I think probably it's like there, there's a uniform and you you sort of check into that. Like I don't know, like Mordecai Richler always wrote about like the guys at McGill wearing like big sweaters with M's on, like the the red sweater with an M on it. And it's like I, I have a never great saw one. It. Yeah, but like at some point in the fifty years between him writing that and us going to McGill, like people stopped wearing that. And I would say, like, it was a school with very little school spirit. Like, if you saw someone wearing a McGill shirt, it was kind of probably because, like, they were giving a tour or, yes. like, we're working, you know what I mean? Like, we're working no, somewhere, and, and it would be weird for someone just going to back a to Berkeley. Like, you think about what are their color? I think it's like honey and, and blueberry or something like that. But, like, you imagine, like, a Cal shirt. Right. Which is just part of you it. You know, different schools, different traditions. But I, I, I do believe there is a Jewish connection and that Jews have influenced the, uh, like, the college, like, game day. Uh, you know, makeup and and uh, outfit and all that, and it, it's something we should think about. In so the here's the other question: Do you then Jews go to more colleges that have solid, not multiple colors? You know, you've got your Northwestern purple, Tulane solid gold. Like, is this is this a thing that they do? Good question. I, I do think it is interesting that Jews in the United States that like tend to group with, at certain colleges. There are certain universities that tend to be more Jewish. And there's reasons for that. Like, there's reasons why Jews congregate in all kinds of areas. But I don't know that anyone's, like, really explained to me, like, this is why there's a Jewish Michigan uh, community. And and there isn't one at a different school. 
or like you no, know there yeah, is, I, that there is I a, think that like you know, that there is a two lane like non Brandeis, sure. right? It wasn't necessarily intentional. No, no. I mean, at, at, like yeah, at nominally, you know, at at not nominally, at actually, you know, uh, non denominational, you know, big state schools mm-hmm. that there's some are some are considered more Jewish and not the others. Anyways, why don't we move on now to our interview with AJ Allen? Well, uh, we're very pleased to be joined tonight by uh, Israeli Olympian AJ Edelman. AJ, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Uh, AJ, right before we started, you had a very cute dog in the room with you. Uh, who is that? That's Lulu. Uh, Lulu, you want to come here? Hold on, just a moment. I, I should remind you this: while we are we are looking at each other, this is a this is a uh, audible medium, so uh, our our audience can't see a very cute uh, Shiba Inu, I believe. Uh, we'll we'll try to get a picture of Lulu. Uh, into the show notes somehow and uh she's attempting to wave so yeah he knows very he, knows cute he, gets, he gets cheese if uh if he does everything right so he's oh, just wow. he's here for the cheese uh so aj can you tell us a little bit about your past and future olympic journey uh why don't we start with with your uh making it to the 2018 olympics i think that's something we really want to talk about all right, absolutely. Um, so no one's even seeing this visually. I can I can literally just do any wackadoodle thing that I want. Like I pick my yeah. We'd up. prefer if you if you put your clothes back on. <laughs> but <laughs> my my journey in sport began at age three, uh, and I it started because my parents I think they made a decision, a very conscious decision that would very positively impact our family, and for better or worse, has set me on the path of that I currently tread, which was that we were going to be an active and sports. Um, we're, they were going to provide the kids right, with the opportunity, should they want to, to reach for athletic goals. And I'll forever credit them for that because as we'll talk about in a very short bit, my life has been dedicated to changing the narrative around what people in the Jewish community perceive that sort of option to be. So they, they put me on skates at age three, and I ran or skated with it and run with it mm-hmm. and skated with it. I continued to play hockey from youth through university, um, finishing my hockey career at MIT. In senior year of university, the Israeli hockey team came a calling. And they extended him an invitation to move to Israel and play for them. I was having a discussion when considering this, and this is back in 2014, I was having a discussion with the alumni director of my day school in Boston named uh, Mike Rosenberg. And Mike had had told me that if I was going to go further in sport, it would be the furthest that any of the alumni from the high school had ever gone. And already playing at uh, a university not named Yeshiva University or Brandeis, I think only one other athlete from Maimonides school had ever done that. That to me really, something, something just really struck me. It was the statistical anomaly of thousands of Jews passing through a, a school and not a single one of them achieving a, a particular level of sport. That to me just seemed wrong. It seemed off. It, it just, it, it became fully clear to me that there is this abrogation of responsibility that has taken place over the generations that has robbed Jewish youth of a pathway of self-development, fulfillment, and representation in sport. If I was going to make a, a career-altering decision to pursue sport at a high level, 
that it had to change this narrative. It had to have a, a communal effect. And to do that, I had to, I had to get a platform and your platform as a hockey goalie from MIT is not, is not so large, right? It's almost as much of a joke as people thinking Jews in sport is MIT people in sport. (laughs) MIT is far more Nobel laureates than Olympians. Uh, but the, the platform that I wanted to achieve could only be achieved through the Olympic games. I thought I had never watched cool runnings. I had never seen the sport before, but I saw it on the news that Steve Holcomb, who is the most accomplished us bobsledder of all time, tragically passed away in 2017. He had made the national team for the upcoming Sochi games. This is back in October, 2013. You know, I'd had all these discussions. What do I want to do? And I'm a winter sport athlete. And so I thought, why not give Bob said a go? So like a madman, I have serious ADD. And one of the, one of the big things about ADD is that you get hyper-focused on Mm -hmm. one thing until you figure it out. It was something like 72 straight hours of just deep dive into the sport, trying to figure out how to connect with Israel, whether there was an Israeli bobsled team, there was, it was started in 2002. At the time in 2014 that I was researching this, they had um, gone about eight years without really having a team together. Finally, I was sent to Lake Placid, not to try bobsled, but to try skeleton. The reason that I was told to try skeleton is because I was told that I was too small for bobsled. And after five days of trying the sport, they sat me down they gave Israel a scouting report. And the scouting report was, mm-hmm. you are not equipped for the sport. You are not what we would call athletic. You will make it down the track and that'll probably be, be the most of it. And you will not make the Olympics. And when I heard that, there was like the chutzpah kind of thing inside that was like, ah, tell me I won't, so I will. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But there was also just the, the thought that if my goal is to go out and talk to kids and talk to Jews about how wonderful sport is and how if we just have a little bit of a push, we can really do some great things in sport, then what better a story to go and talk to kids about than I was told to hang up the shoes essentially five days in. Wow. And so it sounds like you, uh, as you say, you set yourself an eight-year goal and you made it well ahead of that uh, as you qualify for the 2018 Olympics in, in Pyeongchang. Um, and, and finished. And I would, I would say, uh, I don't want to undercut the the point of the, the story that you're telling, but you finished not in last. And I think like that is obviously worth celebrating any, any finish would have been impressive, but you know, you, you, you came within a few seconds of, of the, the best people in the world. Uh, you know, obviously it's a, it's a sport like many of the Olympics that is measured in the, uh, fraction of a second, but, uh, you 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 acquitted yourself very well. I think it was it was very you know a lot of Jews around the world and Israelis were proud to see, uh, pr- are, are proud and surprised to see Israeli representation in the Winter Olympics. Uh, but we you know we saw you there competing, uh, and and doing better than just making it down the uh, down the track. I think it's fair to say. Uh, I appreciate that very much. I hope people do take as much joy in Israelis competing in sport as as I do. I know certainly many people out there do. Going into the Olympics, there was uh, a it was a self imposed responsibility that I thought was important that I address during the Olympic season, and that was there is a very large volume of evidence that skeleton athletes, in particular, face some very debilitating head injuries, mm-hmm. and is because their head is constantly striking the ice. Right. Your head strikes the ground and it accelerates and decelerates at essentially 980 meters per second. And that if, if I recall if I recall correctly there was a, there was a Georgian athlete who died in uh, 2010 in Vancouver. Although that was Luzhin uh, on the track is that 
It was, was that loose? loose. He, he was launched okay. from the track, but but the sport the sport is very dangerous. But suffice to say that in the middle of of my competitive run, I was taking three to four times as many runs a day as other athletes to try to bridge this gap that I had because I couldn't afford a coach and I was pretty fanatic about everything. And so I put my qualification on hold in the middle of that season to invent a system that would eliminate head injuries in the sport of skeleton. And I'm very proud to say that over the course of a few weeks in Germany in December of, 20, uh, of 2017, that system came into being, into fruition. It worked magnificently well. And I used it in the final couple of qualification races en route to the Olympic Games. At the Olympic Games, it was disqualified by a jury member in particular who, who made some extremely anti-Semitic comments when he disqualified it. I uh, told me that you people make all the rules, not today. Wow. Called me Herr. Wow. He called me Herr Edelmann uh, in, in his very thick German accent. It was very, very tough. But the reason that I was always so proud of this performance is that they disqualified the helmet sled setup about 20 hours or less before the competition itself, when I would have no opportunity to train on my old system. You know, you don't want to finish last uh, and you don't want to make it such that Israel, whose Olympic committee is is notoriously harsh when it comes to even accepting the invitations of winter athletes. If you're not going to medal in the past, if you weren't going to medal as a winter Israeli athlete, they they might not even send you. We, we've walk, heard that from, from Israeli athletes in summer sports, too, frankly. Yeah, I have the, trouble finding support from the Israeli Olympic Committee. Right. It's not just support. They, the, the Israeli Olympic Committee at a certain point for Bob Sudden Skeleton was just not going to send Bob Sudden Skeleton athletes, even if they fall. Mm-hmm. Because wow. their their view is this sport is not done in Israel. It's something that unless you're in a medal opportunity, we don't want to deal with it. And there's insurance that has to be paid on athletes to, you know, in case you're captured and kidnapped, things like that. Uh, and so what, what made me so proud was that, was that the performance that was put down on essentially what was brand new equipment to me on the day up competition was very very good. And uh, you made another attempt in, in 2022 or in the lead up to 2022 to qualify in Beijing. And I understand, uh, you know, the, the degree to which you missed qualification for the Olympics is, is you know, basically negligible in terms of how close you came. Uh, I can only imagine that was that was heartbreaking after the amount of work that you put in uh, to, to get there. I had retired after 2018 in the middle of lockdown. I was in New yep. York and everyone had to stay inside. And I connected with the uh, producer or the director, Jonathan Kesselman, of a movie called The Hebrew Hammer. Mm-hmm. Sure. And he and I had talked for years because and- my nickname while sliding was The Hebrew Hammer. And so we had just remained in contact for years. And he had asked at that point, well, while I was you know, just Zooming him, you know, whatever happened to that documentary that you were going to try to make about making the 2018 games and whatever happened to that bobsled team that you really want. And I thought at the time, this seems like the perfect opportunity to start the bobsled team because everyone in the world is kind of just shut in and maybe I can make something special happen just because what had become so apparent to me is that while I tried to talk to people, I always had to start the conversation with, well, do you know what bobsled is? Skeleton is a head person. <laughs> right. right. And, and and so that that is a very poor way of starting a conversation, right? You know, so, you know, it's the other. Try, trying to put a bobsled together, a bobsled team together for the Olympics was like your version of uh, getting into sourdough. 
it sounds like in the peak of the lockdown and then then you're talking to everybody about it i assume (laughs) well so so the team ended up being a very special team so what is in store what what is involved in in getting ready and attempting to qualify for 2026 is it is it just training nonstop? is it participating in the upcoming uh in world cup seasons or 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 what's good does it all come down to the last few days like uh like the previous attempt everything always comes down to the last four months when it comes to the olympic qualification running a team is is incredibly complex you as an israeli you get no financial support from the olympic committee whatsoever the budget our operating budget is is about a quarter of a million uh so all of the aspects of the team come down to to what i can put together that's fundraising sponsorship recruitment hiring coaches logistics of where we're going to live the plane tickets of the athletes their uh their personal housing the logistics of moving the sled around which cost eight to ten thousand dollars every time you ship one across the ocean wow sourcing of all the different equipment jackets shoes all these different things are what i work on every day that's where i'm at right now it's the off season there's a lot of preparation that goes into making a successful season but you need to set yourself up for success on a long-term basis by executing on the short i assume there's uh how many how many sliding tracks are there like in the, in the u.s i assume there's like placid i assume they're saying in salt lake city still there, uh is there much more than that it's a great question uh and it ties into you asked where we slide there's something like 11 or 12 active tracks in the world okay building a bobsled track is a hundred million dollar plus endeavor to build and then to run it is multiple millions of dollars because it's essentially a refrigerated mile-long hockey rink outdoors sure and so and so you build this colossal snake-like concrete thing you super cool it you put ice down on it and that's where we slide so the only people who would ever build a bobsled track are people who are hosting winter olympic games or if you're the germans and really love this sport and do it recreationally you do luge and bobsled and skeleton for after school events you might build a track or two not at winter olympic venues in in your relationship with israeli hockey it's interesting you know we've had a lot of athletes that sort of tie in with, you know, your story here. We we had a, a U.S. Olympic hockey player who went through the same situation you did and did go to Catholic school as a Jewish kid in Boston. Um, a guy named David Warshawski, uh, who played on the team in 2022, I guess it was. We It was during lockdown and he was living in Germany when we spoke to him. But he had a very similar story to you, but he stayed, you know, he went on the path and then went to BU and then ended up playing in the NHL. Um, but I'm curious, you know, as, as to go back to your story, we hear a lot about a lot of Jewish athletes. We find you went to MIT, you know, we tend to talk to a lot of Jewish athletes, especially on various Israeli national teams who are American, who also go to some of the more, you know, higher rep, higher, higher of the higher learning, um, you know, uh, schools in America. There's the Israeli baseball team has Yale alumni. It has Harvard alumni. It has. Princeton alumni, you know, I'm I'm curious to know why you think that I have a theory as to why that phenomenon exists, but I'm curious to know why what what your theory is. So I think what it comes down to is that athletes are essentially people who want to challenge themselves to be the best that they can mm-hmm. be. And in an environment which places a Jewish environment which places so much emphasis on learning or on being um, at least learned. That goes part and parcel of, of your drive to be the best that you can be because I, I it's very seldom have I come across an athlete 
who, if it's not in a major, if it's in a major sport for which they can make millions of dollars, of course it will be, a, a, you know, the thing, right? Because you have to maximize sure. that chance. But if you're in a, if you're in a position for which you're trying to make something happen for yourself, but you also want to make life happen, I think those Jewish values are very heavily emphasized, you know, by everyone around you, and that it comes out in a- academic success. You know, we should say it, it's a very inspiring story. And I, I think I, I think you should rest assured that you you know you have achieved your goals. Obviously, you know practically in terms of the Olympics and things like that. But just uh, in terms of reframing the conversation, I think about what what Jews can do or what Jews should aspire to. Uh, and I, I I'm sure that there are young kids out there that you you know that you heard you speak, have seen your story, and are going to be uh, led by the example that you're setting. So you know, can I no horror with that? I appreciate that very much. However, I. I am constantly reminded every day, multiple times, that the job is not even nearly close to done. And I'm reminded of that because the team, um, you know, every day, one of my responsibilities is to knock on doors and 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 basically mm-hmm. say, would you be a part of this team? Um, both from an athletic side, right? If I call up uh, athletes all over the world who, you know, who might be a good fit for the team or Israelis and say, you know, would you like to be a part of something very special? And and a great many of them are, are of the opinion that it's just not important to do as a 23, 24, 25 year old. But the more painful aspect is what I think Jared, Jared and I, Jared, the scouts athlete who came after me, we started, we started what we wanted to be our legacy. We called it Advancing Jewish Athletics. It's a nonprofit mm-hmm. that was designed to alleviate the financial burdens of athletes like ourselves who in the Olympic season or in the preseason, I seldom got more than four hours of sleep which is a very, very detrimental thing to be doing when you're training for an Olympic Games. It is a huge problem. The reason I got four hours of sleep or less every night is because the team was constantly, it, it was just always on the verge of insolvency. I just couldn't mm-hmm. the team anymore. And, um, and we're still in that kind of similar position now in, in which there's just not an appetite to support Jewish athletes in the way that we want it supported. You know, the Olympics love stories like you guys. You know, it comes to mind, you know, there's the 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 US, you know, if we're talking about winter sports in in Pyeongchang, the curling team from the United States who lost their funding. They weren't good enough. And they sort of decided, okay, let's get our day jobs again. We're gonna start this. And then they unfunded won the gold medal. So you hear stories about like that, you know, things and you think, and I think if I was a sports team owner, I'd want to get in on that opportunity because it's a big story. Yeah, I, I think I think that's it's absolutely right. Sport principles are universal. You can swap out anyone's name, but the story remains the same. And I think that it's something that is very very powerful and lost in in the conversation when we talk about sport. Is that if if the team had been able to afford a non fifteen year old sled in the Olympic season. That time mm-hmm. differential would have been made up by leaps and bounds, and so and so the difference between a story being told of a of an Arab Jewish bobsled team that made the Olympics for Israel that would be I'm sure turned into a documentary told for generations was the fact that we couldn't afford a new hundred thousand dollar sled, right? In the grand scheme of things, the ROI on that hundred thousand dollars would have been eclipsed in 24 hours. Sure. And that and that's just when when I do talk to people about sports, not not to donors but to kids and to parents, you know, I, I generally tell them what what you'll get out of this 
is you'll have stories to tell for the rest of your life, for yourself, to your children, to your friends. Sport affords you an opportunity to experience things as well as personal development and growth that money cannot buy. That's great. I think we're going to have to end it there, AJ. Uh, before we go, I just wanted to ask, uh, so, so you've made the Olympics. Your brother has a show on Broadway. Uh, are, are your parents proud of you? Or is there some third sibling? Uh, is there some third sibling who's just a doctor who gets all the glory? The third sibling is Austin. He's the smartest of the bunch. He runs the <laughs> MIT hackathon, which is the biggest virtual reality <laughs> hackathon in the world. 750 people. Oh, wow. He's absolutely <laughs> incredible. If you if you ever come across him, he's the smartest in the family, the most athletic in the family, and the mensch of the family. Speaking of mensch Wow. Uh, he's terrific. We're all very proud of him. Mom yeah. and dad are supportive and proud. They're, they, you know, they're terrific. I mean, I owe everything to my parents, right? If they had discouraged me at any point, uh, I would never be here. And so I think, you know, all credit to them. Everything that flows in terms of the success of any of the boys in our family entirely due to mom and dad. So I'll never be able to thank them enough. But before we go, before we go, um, the team is still looking for athletes. It's always looking for athletes. So if you're listening to this and you're Jewish, or you're Israeli, especially if you're Israeli, because I'm very proud of the fact that this team, I was the only American born individual on the team in the Olympic round. It's very rare for an Israeli winter team to be all right. Israelis. Uh, Israeli, Israeli. Um, but if you think that you can push a sled fast, or if you know someone who could push a sled fast, send them this podcast and tell them to get in touch with me because we are <laughs> always recruiting and we will always welcome you to the team. Uh, if you're not good enough, you'll be sent home with a nice little care package. But um, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's very it's very special. Um, it's very it, it's just an amazing thing to be a part of. So do get in touch uh, on Instagram. It's AJ Edelman or Israel Bobsled. If you're sending an email, it's my name Adam Edelman at Olympian.org. Thanks again, AJ. Uh, this has been great. My pleasure. Well, thanks again to AJ. Uh, you know, that was really great of him to join us. And we, you know, wish him lots of luck, uh, lots of muzzle as he, you know, prepares for the Olympics and, and gets that team together. Uh, do contact him if you are a fast, strong Jew who wants to push a sled. <laughs> That's right. And, and or if you feel like sponsoring a bunch of fast, strong Jews who want to push a, a sled. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, big sprinters. Jewish people tend to be neither sprinters nor big. So some of those people he talked about, you know, AJ talked about being potentially too small for bobsled. So unfortunately, that role right. on the team is probably taken. But if you're on the larger side. But, you know, I, I think I think generally speaking, like we, we're big proponents of his thesis about, you know, getting Jews in sports at all levels mm -hmm. at all levels of competition. So if you are a Jew uh, with disposable wealth, yeah. I would like to be involved in, in sponsoring the Israeli bobsled team. Get in touch with them. You, you can use your money. Any amount, you know, will help. So, we're usually not not out here uh, stumping for anyone. But, you know, this it, it it's a big endeavor. And it takes a lot. It takes a lot of work. We want to put our listeners money where our mouth is. <laughs> so if you guys could help us do that, I, I should ask Jamie, you know, f for those of you who don't know, Jamie is a substantive man. Um, have you ever considered <laughs> pushing a bobsled? I don't think I would fit in the bobsled. I mean, I am, uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm a larger than than normal individual. I, I'm six three as well. I think I might be a little tall. I, I was referring to the uh, height, nothing else. Oh, just just the height, not the corpulence. <laughs> um, I don't know. I've never, I haven't gotten in the bobsled since uh, since I was a kid in the uh, bobsled ride at the uh, science center. Yeah, so I'll have to go again. I'll have to go check that out before they uh, ship everything down to Ontario, please. 
Um, anyways, I wanted to mention to all our listeners as well, if you are in the Toronto area, we are going to be having a live event. Uh, it is on September 12th, and it will be up at the Prosper and Y. Uh, we will be joined by a guest uh, who is a very prominent Toronto sports media figure, I'll, I'll say. Uh, we don't have all the details yet, but uh, it'll be in the evening on September 12th. So we are very excited about that. Keep your eyes peeled for, for more information about that. Yeah, and let's talk to him in front of the audience is what I think I would say. Yeah. Uh, so it will be a live event uh, for non-Toronto area people or people who can't make it. We will put that out as a podcast, certainly. Uh, but if we're very excited about this. This is sort of part of an initiative the CGN is doing. Um, so we're excited. We're really excited about that. So keep an eye on this space. This is, this is, do people call JCC's wise? Uh, please, please let us know if you're a listener. Uh, my producer, Michael, is telling me that it's not called the Prosper and Y. It's called the Prosper and JCC. And I have always referred to it as the Shepherd Y or the North Y or the Prosper and Y. So uh, interested to hear people's people's comments on this and, and whether it is appropriate to call it a Y. I mean, <laughs> the Y and YMCA stands for young. And like, it's, it, you know, I get that it's short for YMCA or YMHA, uh, I guess is actually used in New York yeah. at the, at the not, what used to be called, no longer called the 92Y, by the way, the 92NY now. Ooh. Um, yeah, I think very controversially, uh, or at least, or at least to people's discontent. I don't know about controversy, but people are annoyed. about that. Anyways, we will be having an event at the Jewish community center on Bathurst street, north of shepherd Avenue in the Don Valley on September 12th. Yes. And we are really looking forward where, to where it. the Camp and Shalom bus picks up the children. Sure. You may know it as the uh, terminus of a UJA walk with Israel. Uh, you may know it as the place your uncle took you to swim when you were a kid. The Holocaust Museum. Uh, you may have gone to an elite basketball camp there. Uh, there, there are many applications of the Prosperman JCC. But anyways, uh, until then, uh, as always, we're brought to you by the Canadian Jewish News, produced by Michael Freeman. Uh, you can find our content at the Canadian Jewish News website, the CJN.ca, and find us on Twitter slash X uh, at Mentors. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're still out there, still out there tweeting. Do we, if, still posting. Are we, because it's a Jewish athlete, if the Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk fist fight ever happens, do we cover it? Oh, as, we should try to get, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We should live stream live. it. Yeah, if it ever happens. That's a Jewish athlete. I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of thoughts, a lot of takes on it. So I, I, I'm interested to, if that happens, we'll have and, to profile and it. But Zuckerberg. I think it's not We never talk happen. about Israel Adesanya on this podcast, who is not Jewish, but is named Israel. Yep, that's true. Anyways, uh, until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.